Chapter 18 of Look to the Stars. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Look to the Stars by Willard E. Hawkins. Chapter 18. Morning found Marlin many miles down the coast and still feverishly pushing on. Too bad he couldn't have left some word for Sally, but she'd probably understand. His failing to show up for breakfast would be the tip-off. She'd realized that he must have decided that he couldn't do this thing. In the long run, she'd be glad that the father of her children still had the responsibility of caring for them. What if he did beat her occasionally? Recollection of the fight they'd staged last evening recurred to mind and he grinned. Sally gave as good as she took. He half suspected that she enjoyed the excitement. Still, there were her kisses and her warm, vital body. Most of all, there was the hunger for companionship. It was just as well to put a lot of distance between himself and these ever-tempting possibilities. Perhaps if he was doomed to be alone, he might find some creature of the wild for company. The section of the shore which he was approaching really promised well. He had supposed that the center from which most of the vegetation sprang was somewhere in the neighborhood of his emergence. Probably just a fellow's egotistical way of regarding himself as the center of the universe. Now it began to look as if this region to the south was relatively a garden spot, the older section, so far as growth was concerned. The bushes were more luxuriant. There were even more fledgling trees, while life was more abundant. He caught glimpses of rabbits and of a distant creature that might have been one of the legendary ship which were supposed to have been trapped in the ooze before the sphere took its plunge into space. It seemed to Marlin that even the sun shone brighter. His skin felt a gentle warmth in place of the ever-present chill. It was almost like coming home. More and more frequently, he came upon things that gladdened his spirit. Sheep there undoubtedly were, buck among those racks and stalks of corn, not nearly as stunted as those which Link had painstakingly cultivated. Bees hammed around the blossoms of occasional flowers. At the base of a huge rack outcropping, he found a nest hollowed out in a packet of dry leaves, and in the nest were eggs, pullet eggs. On the slope of a hillside rising from the other side of the rack was a small flag of clucking hands. Scratching industriously under the supervision of a strutting cock, off to the right a pair of goats raised their heads and blooded at him in mild astonishment. A well-defined trail led to the crest of the outcropping. Trembling with anticipation of he knew not what, Marlin plodded up the path. Reaching the tap, he paused, 
something constricted his throat. Calm and tranquil, like an aloof goddess, she sat on a boulder in a grassy knoll overlooking the sea. She wore a knee-length garment which seemed to be woven of plaited grass. Her long golden hair hung in loose braids over her shoulders, and she cuddled a chick to her breast, capping it in both hands while the mother hen, with the rest of her brood, clucked at her feet. On the slope above, a black and white pup paused in the act of wearing a stick and stood looking at the newcomer with one ear comically cocked. Marlin stared entranced. He had no impulse to approach, but only to fill his eyes with the lovely picture she made, to feed his starved soul with the tranquility of her unconscious pose. Mature, brooding, poised, a veritable part of it she seemed, an expression of the universal mother spirit. When she glanced up from the fluffy thing cuddled in her hands, she seemed scarcely surprised at seeing him, but her full lips broke into a smile of pleased welcome. As she deposited the fledgling on the ground among its mates, he took a diffident step toward her, then another. Pearl, he muttered in a choked voice, and dropped on his knees beside her. She looked down understandingly, extending both hands. She clasped them behind his head and drew his face gently to the warm hollow where the chick had nestled. Thus, Nerth came into being. But it was a fearsome planet, barren, devoid of life. Then the gods who had created it turned to Pyruel, the all-knowing, and besought her to make her creation more pleasant to the sight of El Lady. For know you, my son, that so great was the wisdom of this lovely goddess that for long periods she sealed her lips in mercy lest she reveal truths too vast for mine to comprehend. Yet was she also the most tender and understanding of the great beings. In her wisdom, Pyruel gathered a handful of soil from the barren planet and breathed upon it, and moistened it in the sea, and she scattered the soil and it became seeds, which blossomed into grass and flowers and all things growing, so that Nerth was converted into a place of beauty riding upon the void. And again, Pyruel gathered rock fragments which she moistened in the sea and breathed upon and scattered abroad, and the rocks gave forth living things so that the world teemed with birds and tiny creatures that crawl and fly and burrow, and with all animals that we know, from the least to the great herds which feed upon the hillsides. With all this the gods were pleased, but in time they again grew dissatisfied. They knew not why, and Pyruel smiled, 
for the cause of their sorrow was known to her even before they voiced it. So she removed the seal from her lips and told them they were grieved because none of their kind would enjoy the beauty of this world or remain to husband its teeming life. When they returned to their home in the sun, and she commanded them to people north with beings in their own image, children of their loins who should hold their heads high and walk erect with understanding, as befitted the mortal children of gods. And the mighty ones knew that Pyruel spoke wisdom, and they obeyed her command, and now from their far-off home in the sun, they look out upon the fair planet, which they formed and peopled with life, and declare that it is good. It is not true, mother, that our own race, my race, came from the greatest of these. We believe it is true, son, and ever should, for it is said that from Maharalin and Pyrual descended our splendid race which peoples nearly have the continents of north. Yet it is but natural for the other races to think highly of those from whom they sprung. All were gods, stupendous beings of high courage and noble aims, who rode the thunderbolt across the void, brought life from stones, and molded for us a world in which it is pleasant to dwell. End of Look to the Stars by Willard E. Hawkins <laughs>